Welcome to Grit, Guts, and Determination, the Leadville Race Series podcast. I'm your host, Cole Clover, son of race founder, Ken Clover. And I'm going to take you on a journey of rich storytelling through our now 40-year rich history. And I invite you to sit back and listen to these eccentric stories. But don't forget to take a few notes along the way because these eccentric stories are going to have tricks and tips to get you to that line come summer. So sit back, enjoy, and then we'll see you at home. We'll see you in Leadville. Leadville family, I got a repeat guest for you today. And the reason I do is because she's really going to help your crews prepare you and help your crews prepare you to get to that line come August. For those of you who don't know Sandy Monahan and her husband Mike Monahan, uh, Sandy is my special return guest today. They've been coming to Leadville since 1989. Mike was one of our early 100-mile runners. Since that time, the Monahans have taken on the LT100 and brought us into a digital age online. Mike is also a 10-time finisher of the run, and the two have matriculated to the titles of Cutoff King and Queen. Now, all of this success between Mike and Sandy is definitely due to Sandy's efforts. In fairness, Mike did shoulder some of the burden by running those 100 miles for a decade, but we all know it's Sandy that kept him going. So without further ado, please get out your pen, paper, listening ears, and get ready to take notes from Crewing by Sandy Monahan. Hi, Sandy. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, today, I want to dig into your 33 years of experience of crewing and being cut off queen to arm our Leadville family with the best tools to make that, to make that line come August. So let's dig in. In that first year, 1989, how did you set up your crew and how did that go? Well, hi, Cole. It's good to be here. Thank you. Uh, my my husband was the, the runner, and I had already crewed him a few times at Western States and experienced what crewing was like there. And, and um, based on what I had heard about Leadville, I realized that it was going to be much easier and much friendlier to crew at. So the first year, it was me, myself, and I that was out there with him on the course. I had my kids with me and my dog with me, but that was it. His pacer, his pacer Kent, flew in from California at the last minute as a surprise for Mike. It was our anniversary, our 15th wedding anniversary. And Kent flew in to be his pacer. So first half of the race, Kent and I took care of Mike. And I carried everything but the kitchen sink with me <laughs> and, and hiked it in everywhere we went. So I was pretty spent after that experience, but it was, an, it was a fabulous experience. Well, let's, I mean, everything but the kitchen sink. Today that has a yeah. little different meaning. What, yeah. what were Mike's lights like back then? What kind of uh, bags were you carrying? Did you have a cooler? Okay, what I, what I did, and I started this right early because I knew it was important to stay organized. So I had um, a fl 
index cards that were on a spiral flip notebook. And I went through each aid station one by one, and we discussed his expected times and what he might want. Well, his his desires were anything from uh, pickles to a hamburger. So I did have a cooler. I, I had a backpack that I carried and for when I had to hike in, and I had... Uh, I had, along with the backpack, I had a chair to sit in and rain gear for myself. And, of course, I had to pack the car for kids' food and dog food. So I was up all night the night before the race preparing for that event. It was a big deal. It was very important to me. Goodness, that does sound like everything and the kitchen sink. Uh, yeah. Was there anything you'd left out or if you'd learned from Western states, is there anything you left out when you're at Western states? Well, no, no. But the one thing that I did learn was that at that time we were using different uh, lights, different flashlights than you have today. And the uh, altitude and the cold killed the batteries <laughs> and the bulbs. So, I was constantly swapping out batteries and flashlights. That's why they call Mike Dr. Flashlight now, because I always carried, started to carry, you know, five or six different flashlights ready to roll. But that particular year um, on the return trip when it was dark and it had started to snow, actually had snow plows out, I was sitting on the road right out of, uh, right before the trail to go up over the Sugarloaf trying to disassemble three flashlights and make them into one that actually worked. And I just managed to get it together as they hit the trail. <laughs> so that was uh, my big fright that year. When it got into May Queen, I had to borrow a lady's Duracell little one from her purse for him to finish the race with because it was <laughs> still dark. So that was probably the major thing. I literally had everything else you could imagine that well, year. Yeah, I think. I, I cut back as the years went on, believe me. Well, yes, I remember my dad always running with mag lights, and I think Mike was the same for a good bit. But I yeah. remember you kind of revolutioning that, revolutionizing that with this little uh, kind of, what was it, fluorescent oh, I, uh, belt? I, I, yeah, I realized that um, headlamps, were few and far between, but the problem Mike reported to me was that when you turned your head, you tended to follow the headlamp. And one year he actually ran into the lake because he just kind of stumbled right into the lake and about five runners followed him. So I thought about it and I thought, well, it would be much better if we had a light that would shine down on the trail in front of you without being right on your head. So you had to move your body for the light to move. So I went to Walmart and I bought little camping fluorescent lights. I bought some neoprene and Velcro and glue, and I designed a light that shone down on the trail that was strapped around their their waist. And Mike and your dad reported that it was absolutely fabulous. <laughs> I should have. You should, should have, have patented it. They sell them yeah, now. I know. They should, I know. There are a lot of things. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. So that that was the way we resolved that issue for several years. Well, okay, and you said you'd be more streamlined now. We're all older. We want to carry less. We think we know more. How would that differentiate? What would be streamlined in that process? 
Well, mo- most mostly it would it would be food. You know, we used real food. There were not all these gizmos that they've got today. Not not all these packaged goos and energy drinks, et cetera, et cetera. So we 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 relied on food. For example, if you knew your runner needed some sodium there was nothing to do. I went out to a pharmacy and got capsules and filled them with table salt so that he didn't have to taste it as he swallowed it. So the other, you know, so I cut back on a lot of food. I no longer took a jar of pickles with me just in case. Um, and we, we just had experimented with food enough that we came up with something that, that, he was able to stomach for the night. Okay. So that was probably mostly it, but I still carried in a good, deal of gear with me when I would come in. I had everything you could imagine. I've got quite a gear list that people are, it's available (laughs) to your runners that I think would be helpful. Well, for sure it would be. And I, and, and our runners will get that opportunity to get that knowledge at our uh, briefings before the race as well. So remember that and we'll let you know where it falls on the schedule as we get closer. Um, Now, you don't have as much experience crew and Mike in the bike race because Mike isn't a bike racer, but you right. both spend a numerous amount of time helping Mike's buddy, Mickey, Mick Dunoff. Um, yeah. And you actually helped crew him a few times before doing the cutoff king and queen duties. Can you share some of the experiences of what it was like crew and Mick? Uh, if you had the same amounts of gear and which one of the two was more difficult just for color? Well, I think, you know, my experience with the, with the ride is not only with Mick, but actually doing cutoff because I'm around everybody's crews. Mm-hmm. And my observations are that, that the run is far more difficult to crew for because it's obviously a longer period of time. The riders are, are, far more self-sufficient you need to be prepared and out on the course so that you can um uh take them you know give them their gear if it's make sure they have their rain gear and have their food in their food bag and you know that's it you're there for emergency purposes mostly is my experience there's not as much mothering in a bike as there is in a run (laughs) Well, yes, that's a great way of looking at it. See, my next question is mentioning that it comes at you twice the speed. And what is it like to try to adapt? So you're really not focused on anything at twice the speed unless it's like a monumental equipment failure that you're probably not going to be able to help with. Is that kind of where you're going with that? That's exactly right. You've got your runner. Probably primary is for them to find you in the mass of people at each aid station. So people come up with, and we did too, catchy little things. Look for this flag or this color or, you know, whatever. You have to make sure because your runner is coming at you with great speed and you have to know how to grab them and give them what they want. You need to be prepared from the beginning. I always advise people to go through the whole course, run or bike, and have your runner let you know what they expect at each place and have it available right now for them. And and the other thing I would advise for both races is if you have three or four people there and you're enjoying the day, which you should do, make one person responsible and in charge with talking to your rider or runner 
Don't let everybody come at them with questions. It's too it's too distracting for your your athlete. So you should have a list of what they're looking for and have everything laid out that you might need clearly and within sight. Well, and that's a great point. And also to that fact, uh, to bring up a question I don't even have down, uh, my mom, you know, my dad made sure my mom made all the decisions after 50 miles in that run. Is this also something you suggest with the run? And do you suggest the same with the bike? Uh, for the run, definitely. You have to be the voice of reason out there. You have to know what your runner looks like, what they look like they might need, because really the phrase I use is they, they become brain dead. They're not thinking that mm-hmm. that they that they sound like maybe they're dehydrated or they or they look like they might be cold. You have to be an something of an enforcer and make them listen to you because they're eager and they're like racehorses. They're ready to roll and they don't want you to take too much of their time. So, you know, if you're prepared, I always had a banana lounge chair with all my, with a plastic tarp on the bottom and ready to pull over the top in case of rain and had everything laid out on that lounge chair to just grab. Okay. So, it's it's real important to be organized on this. And don't let anybody – your dad did this to me one time. He he said, okay, let's saddle up. He, was, <laughs> he found this on the trail when Mike was running his tent. And let's saddle up. And he picked the blanket up and threw it in my car, and I almost had a heart attack. But you know what I'm saying? It's important to keep your clean clothes separated from your dirty clothes and long sleeves, short sleeves. I use Ziploc baggies a lot with a marking pen. Okay. So, yeah. Well, and then so like we know our buddy Mick has had an unfortunate tragedy on the bike race where he was about a block block into the race and somebody ran into his rear derailleur and his race was ended. Now, um, you have all these experiences seeing all these other crews and helping Mick a bit more. What do you feel about parts and seeing people carry parts? Do you see people bring many to the pits? And if so, is that something you agree with or disagree with? Well, you know, I've seen people out there with their own bike mechanic with a shop set up right there on the course, ready to go and switch things out and make it right. You know, yeah, Um, that's your, your, professional type athletes i'm not going to say they're professionals but that's the person that is that's what they live and breathe for your standard race rider i i it's 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 kind of i i think you should have whatever you you require you know and how serious you are about it i don't know about all the parts and all of that it that's a lot to card card in i have no problem with it but there's just it's just not available or or it's not the right thing for every rider, you know, you just absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of leading you a little bit on that one because I see, you know, I do think there are some things you can do, like say an extra wheel set or something, but even that can be a stretch. Like if you went to the expense of carrying a rear derailleur around, boy, that would really be an issue, and odds are you're not ever going to need it. When you are in mixed position, odds are it's going to happen somewhere where you can't get it until time has expired 
for, That's and, exactly and you've already right. missed the cutoff. So yeah, I just kind of want to give a little value there. And I, I think we both fortunately do see eye to eye on that. Um, yeah. There's always going to be extremes either way from what our feelings are. Uh, do you think that equipment is probably the biggest unexpected challenge crewing between the run and the bike? Or what would you say some okay. of that might be? I think I think for the ride, it's definitely equipment. It really is. You know, besides novice riders who take the course, they don't understand the co- how serious and how technical the ride can be. Mm-hmm. But it it's definitely equipment. The run... It's probably weather gear that takes you down worse than anything else. That's right. the biggest mistake I, I see in crews. And no matter how long and how much I emphasize it to people, they they just, it slips their minds. Yeah. One year in run, it started out a bright and sunny day, you know, a singlet shorts day for the run. And by the time they got to um, uh, Pipeline, it, I could see that the weather was starting to come in, and these people had goosebumps but didn't realize it. I was out there with a couple of bags of um, trash bags, cutting holes for arms and heads and demanding that these people <laughs> took them o- over to Twin Lakes. And I believe that year, Cole, we had something like a 40% dropout in Twin Lakes for hypothermia. Yeah. Because the weather the weather came in, and they were not prepared. <laughs> So if there's one thing I can emphasize, and that that happened at the ride one year, too, where oh, yeah. people were hypothermic badly. That happened to Mick. We had to carry Mick to our house and put him in a warm bathtub and wrap an electric blanket around him to bring him back. He was so hypothermic. So you've always got to be super aware of potential. There's potential. Like I said, Mike's first year, it snowed. I mean, I'm from California. Who thinks about snow in August, right? <laughs> right. So that's the really critical thing for both events. Okay. And now, like, what are some other differences that you can offer that, you know, more like the lead man or the mix of the world that are, you know, runners converting to bikers or the reverse uh, bikers converting to runners, what do you think that uh, you can offer them for that transition? Well, I think anybody who is honest with you, and I've talked to a lot of people out there on the trail, will tell you that the run will kick your ass way quicker than the bike will. It's, as you pointed out, the bike is fast. You're not out there for quite as long. Um you know, sure, there are bike accidents, there are injuries. Uh, you don't have people on the run having, I can't remember anybody having a terrible accident on the run. It's possible, of course, but and on the bike, you know, you've got all those bikes out there and there are accidents, people crash. So that's really treacherous. On the bike, you've either got it and you're either prepared and you don't, hurt yourself badly coming down a hillside you're going to be pretty much okay you know you're not going to the fatigue level layer is not there for the run the right. ride the run the run really saps every part of your body 
So from from my experience, anybody who transitions from one to the other will always tell you that the run is the most difficult of both. Not that the ride's not difficult. I do not mean to say that at all. Well, absolutely. You could just go home, have dinner, and have a good night's yeah. sleep, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah, a whole different... Yeah, you don't even miss your evening cocktail, you know? You just, oh, well, I did great, or, or oh, gee whiz, I didn't do so well. So, and I think in the ride, you become aware that you're not going to be successful perhaps a little bit earlier than in the run, too. Sure. People tend to press forward much longer because they think they have more time to make it up. Right. And, and that's, that's probably the purpose of the cutoff. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I don't want to downplay the bike either. It's just no. a different type of pain and it stops it sooner. <laughs> That's right. It's a different, different grueling. That's exactly right. I didn't mean to say that either. Oh, no, you it's, didn't. It's, I just want to make yeah. sure I don't as well. Yeah. yeah. No, you, you know, you've done them both. Well, and then, so let's get to nutrition too, because this is something that's a, a must from both. You simply can't d get this done without putting fuel in your tank. Um, you definitely know that you need to have tricks and tips to get through that run. You mentioned about the solid food. So let's talk about um, what it was like in the beginning, what you've seen work and what you've seen go wrong. Well, in the beginning, um, in the early days, as I said, there were not so many supplements available. Um, so you had to plan your food accordingly. And oftentimes people just can't take food into their mouths. It's just too much for them to shove in and get down. So Mike would use, Mike did all kinds of weird stuff. He would use those cheesy apple pies that you buy, you know, in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. He, got, he always... We always wanted one of those in the morning before he started off. He um, he liked peanut butter and jelly, emphasis on jelly to help it slide down. I always put butter on it so it would go down. Um, I've had I've made him uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, carried around a little uh, stove and made him grilled cheese sandwiches on the trail. But the thing that we evolved to eventually was bacon. We discovered that bacon has all the necessary nutritional things. It had fat, it had protein, and it had sodium. And I would fry up about two pounds of bacon really crisp and wrap them up in a foil and would hand them off to him, and he could eat those all night long. And um, that was something that settled his stomach nicely. Uh, when he got to the point where he was using gel, we, he always ate real food for the first 50 miles for sure. After that, it, we went to maybe uh, yogurt, liquid yogurt that you could drink, um, maybe some Ensure, uh, and, you know, liquid things like potato soup, mm -hmm. uh, things that slid down more easily than others because inevitably most runners have an issue with vomiting and we can say the word diarrhea, can't we? Oh, yeah, um, we that can. happens. <laughs> that happens too. So be prepared for that. Um, it's hard on your body. Both events are hard on your body. The, the, the riders rely more on the fuel that they take in with their liquids, with their bottles. Okay. And, 
the supplements, you know, that that's what they rely on. You're, you're talking about a shorter event and they found that they can shove it in faster that way. I firmly believe to this day, it's been a while since Mike was a runner, but even with all these supplements, I'm finding that people that are, you know, middle of the pack runners who are going to, they're just out there to finish the, the event. Mm-hmm. They do far better with real food. And you should always train with whatever you're planning on eating. Yes, hopefully everybody's way down that road. That's part of why we're doing this episode now, though, to maybe give them a little time. Um, And and always, always give it a try, because if you try something whammo that day, you're going to fail. I also would make chicken. The other thing I made was I'd take a roasting chicken and chop it up with a lot of mayonnaise and put it on white bread, soft white bread, cut the crust and cut it into strips so you could hold it in your hand like a, I don't know, a hot dog or a stick. And you could just hand those off as he would go by and he could shove those down because of the mayonnaise. And it had all the other, you know, all the elements, fat and protein and salt. So... Those are the things. And I, and then I, I just think that today, from my observations out there on the trail, people shift over to, uh, I'll call it artificial nutrition, you know, supplements mm-hmm. a little too quickly. They don't, they don't pack those calories on. I, I've always believed you, the first 50 miles, you better eat until you can't eat and then eat some more because you're going to rely on those calories the second half when you have your upset stomach and your mouth does not want to accept food. Absolutely. I always heard to treat an ultra running event like, a, you know, an eating contest with a little jogging in the middle. That's right. <laughs> a, a, a catered run in the woods. <laughs> catered run in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So now this one's really important, but yet here it is buried right in the dagnam middle of all this stuff. Uh, okay. You know, we do a great job. My dad, more than anybody, of often saying how that runner biker must be mentally tough, and and the importance of having a strong why, or if you don't have that, it's going to make that that journey to that finish line almost impossible. What we don't, I think, touch enough on is crewing. Like, how do you treat? A runner, what does your mental attitude have to be to deal with that runner that has all but abandoned the race? Uh, You know, and what do you do to be mentally tough to get that runner or biker through this monster they're trying to tackle? Well, would you like me to tell you about some of our personal experiences out there on the trail? I would absolutely love it, and our Leadville family would too. Well, some of them are pretty hilarious, although Mike wouldn't agree. (laughs) Um, Probably the fourth year that Mike ran the race, uh, we were out there at Twin Lakes. By we, I mean my sister was with me. I had both kids, and I had a puppy. (laughs) And you might imagine that could be a calamity, you know, of just trying to keep track of everyone. <laughs> and Mike came in really early. He had, It was still broad daylight when he came through the aid station. And he came in and he sat down in the chair and he said, I'm quitting. This is no fun. And um, I just went about my business. I got his shoes out. 
He actually climbed into the van. He was taking his shoes off. As he'd take one shoe off and one sock off, they were wet from the river. I would put a sock on and slip the other shoe, the new shoe on. And, and he'd say, you know, finally he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just putting some dry shoes on you. And come on, let's get outside here. And I fed him and everything. And then I had the kids climb in the car and the dog climb in the car and my sister climb in the car. And I slammed the door on the car on him. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, if you think this isn't fun, look what I've been doing all night. I'll see you at the next aid station. And I drove away. I abandoned them. And <laughs> you might imagine he wasn't happy. <laughs> but he finished the race. He did. It was, um, he, he bitched at me when we got into, uh, oh, I don't know, the next aid station uh, was probably at that time the fish hatchery. He was ready to roll again. And I, I, uh, I, I didn't do anything then. He kept going. He finished in good time too. As a matter of fact, there was another year when Nick was helping me crew and my son, Nat had walked all the way up to the half pipe aid station uh -huh. It was half moon at the time, and I I'd lost him because I didn't know where he was. And anyway, he came. He was up there when Mick and he came through, and Mike was ready to bag it right then. He was done, and so Mick, we had walkie talkies because we didn't have cell phones. And Mick called me on the walkie talkie, and I could hear Mike in the background. I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to <laughs> talk to her. Get put that thing down. I don't want to talk to her. <laughs> anyway, I co coaxed him down from the aid station, and when he got down there. He told me, if you think this is so fun, you pace me to the next point. So Nick got in the car and I ran with him to the fish hatchery. And somehow I managed to get him through the fish hatchery, check him in, check him out, get him his nutrition and everything. We got out to the the grass on the lawn and he said, what are we doing out here? I saw my bracelet on. I said, well, you need to, you need to keep going. You have plenty of time. You need to keep going. He said, I'm not, I'm not doing this. He called me a few names. I won't repeat. I won't offend him that way. <laughs> and I said, okay, finally. I said, okay, you can quit, but you have to tell Matt. That's our son. He said, okay, where is he? I said, he's about 200 yards up the trail. He said, you blank. Only you would think of such an evil thing to do. <laughs> and so they, he went up the trail annoyed as hell and caught up with Matt. Matt reported later that you don't, that I didn't even want to know what dad had to say up there. <laughs> and they came, they came roaring through May Queen with, you know, 10 minutes to spare and he finished the race. Right. So, so sometimes you have to motivate by being evil, I guess, but that's only when you know, your runner still has the gas in the tank. Well, for you sure. Know? I'm trying to point out that you're at least as tough as Mike and, you know, do you see the same attitude from all crews or is this something you see that, you know, a crew could have more backbone and you're about to pull their racer and you end up talking them through? Yeah, I, I have to say, I see crews that are not being motivating enough. They're tired. They want to bug out. I think that's really terrible you shouldn't be out there in the first place if you're not going to encourage your runner on the other hand i have had many experiences actually when i do cutoff the more difficult experiences i have are with crews who want me to let their runner through and um i mean everything from in winfield some woman was just she would not let me go and she wanted to let her runner 
go through because she had brought these pacers out and they she wanted them to see the mountains and i was like well i'm so sorry her husband was in the background shaking his head no i can't go no i can't go he was a he was he was done he was wasted and you know she she was really upset with me because i was not willing to do that those are people that don't have any understanding of what cutoffs are about they're not about this race is not a race from point to point it's about a race from the beginning to the end the cutoffs are for safety and for for basically for safety if you can't our cutoffs now i am so pleased with what they are they have been fine-tuned over 20 years 25 years to uh, what oh are you there the statistics will show you that you will not finish the race and it's not safe for you to proceed right so so that's that's the main issue that i have is walk that fine line between knowing when to push and when to understand that this is it and not make your runner feel upset or disappointed that they failed you because believe me they're, they're doing everything they can to get through that day and they're disappointed enough yeah that was a great great way of putting that for sure um another topic that gets a little sensitive uh, you know what race congestion was like on day one of the the bike event for sure, almost day one of the run, and you know what it's like today. You've seen Powerline virtually empty on race day, and you've seen Lance on the Powerline where it looked like a major tour climb. We've seen Twin Lakes bust at the seams, even to the point where it's created a new spot implemented at the base of Columbine. Uh-huh. So if you were crewing today and we told you, you could, you, you, and you, you were going to pick where to go. You had an infinite number of car and crews. Now, mind you, you can only have one car and crew tag on course at once. Would, uh, would you have involved any other cars or what, what, what would your car scenario look like? And what would your crew scenario look like? Let's start with this for the bike race and also do it in a two-part on a nine- and 12-hour scenario. Ooh, okay. Now, remember, I've never really had a rider in the in the red right. ride. Um, from what I can see, I've never had anybody complain about not being able to reach their rider at any point on the race. I think that you can do crewing at the acceptable locations and your rider should be just fine by following the directions and being there. I I really think one for the ride, one crew is perfect. It's just, again, it's a fast event. Sometimes you can hardly get from one point to the other and not miss your crew. Well, that's my point. So if you were crewing a rider... And they were going for nine hours. Do you think you could crew them at Pipeline and at uh, the dam? No, absolutely not. If they were a 12-hour rider, do you think you could do that? Maybe. Maybe. I know that when I do cutoff at the dam, I can barely get to Pipeline in my vehicle. 
to hit the riders as they come through. And for those of you listening, that's at about an hour time for both the rider and the car. It's give or take a little bit, but right. uh, what what do you think, Cole? Oh, I think you're spot on. Uh, okay. I, you know, I you you definitely have a different experience with the back of the Packers, and I'm having. Right. An experience with kind of the front of the Packers, and we're seeing the right. same thing as what it's showing me. Right. And I do want to make sure that our crews are um, thinking that way for the bike only. Um, you know, is it better to be out at Pipeline or is it better to be at the dam? And, you know, if you're going to choose that location, you're probably going to marry that location till they come back through. And that's a day of it. Yeah, I I think, okay, non-biker, but, and you know better than me, if I were to choose which, whether it was in or out, the most, I think Twin Lakes is important. The dam is important. Yeah. Just looking at Twin Lakes. The dam is important. But I, I think given that, the aid stations are so thorough and so good about grabbing bags and taking care of riders. Mm -hmm. If somebody's riding towards the back of the pack, I would suggest that they let their rider come through and let the aid station take care of them on their return and make it to the pipeline. If you want to get there, if you want to be at one place or another, I think you should be at the dam outbound and, this is only if you've got a rider that's struggling. No, I, I agree. And, and yes, I'd even try to follow him a few more points just in that scenario. Yeah. Um, I think you were right yeah, in picking one point only if you were faster. Um, the yeah. dam has some advantages. Uh, but then also, you know, if you hit the dam both times, you might need to take the aid as a fast rider at tree pipe from the or tree, uh, outward bound from the aid station. And right. that's totally fine too. I just think, you know, it's good to talk about it. I don't think all crews think that way. Now, yeah. in switching gears, if you were crewing the run today, um, what would you do in that same scenario? How many cars, how many crews also knowing you're going to well, get kind of one car tag? Well, if you have one car tag, then you can only have one crew, right? No. Well, I mean, not necessarily, right? You can alternate the car tag between cars oh. going to and from town or relieve, you know, um, I don't know how you could do that really without taking the tag first. But let's just say theoretically you can get, I would have, this is what I would do. I, I know that they are concerned about the congestion at May Queen. I always, I, I think you should make sure you have a drop bag at May Queen outbound so that you can shed your clothing and gear, your flashlight, refresh yourself, okay? Mm -hmm. I would, I would personally, what I would do is I would go to May Queen, I would skip outward bound and go to pipeline, okay? Because both of those play, outward bound has a 
May Queen, you're still fresh enough if you want to just drop your stuff. Outward Bound is a great aid station, but it's far, you know, it, you, you're so close to pipeline that you can let your runner get crewed by the aid station, and then you could be at pipeline because you're not going to be able to see them again until Twin Lakes. So you can make sure that they've got their gear and their um, everything they need, wind, jacket, rain gear, etc., to get them over Twin Lakes safely. And then Twin Lakes, I'd sit sit on Twin Lakes until they came back, and then I'd go back to Pipeline, and um, then probably skip Outward Bound or go to Outward Bound. And depending on where your runner is, how your runner is running, I would go back to May Queen because. Because May Queen is really important. And one of the things that Mike and I do for runners at May Queen is get them in if they're riding the rail. Mm -hmm. Runners often think that when they hit May Queen, the race is over. And boy, it's just begun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what I would do. Um, I think that if you're going to skip an aid station, for me, it would be, I would go instead to Pipeline. I know that that Outward Bound has great um, parking, so there's that. But it's so close to half pipe that I don't know. It's a tough one. You know, there's lots of traffic out there on the road, and that's one of the things that we're trying to work on is to keep people from being so congested and so following people. So I think if you want to go to Twin Lakes, you might want to just go directly. Yeah, that's because definitely a smart decision and seems to be more the norm for a lot of crews. Yeah. And when you get there, be prepared. You might have to, uh, you might take the, 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 uh, Oh, the trolley or the van that they're going to be supplying. I yes, think we will be, be doing shuttles. The shuttle will be a wonderful way to get out there. But if you're driving and you plan on parking, I have a, a, a an outline that you can get on race day, giving you instructions for how to park. Be prepared to walk. That's why I always had a backpack. Yes, so, uh, that's that's become almost a two mile walk for those of our family yes. listening. So if you're you do have yep. one of those back of the pack runners and you do get there during a congested time, uh, you're going to need a little fitness. That's right. Exactly. Um, Twin Lakes is a good spot because you you can really do a good assessment of your runner. And again, you can get them prepared for going over that hope pass. Well, in Hope Pass, I mean, let's just drill this one more time. Uh, let's spend time on one of the most important topics, and that's weather. Um, once again, we're going to start with a bike race example just because of the speed of the race. You know, you're yes. on a nine-hour pace in the bike. You're on That means you're on top of Columbine from town in the morning in four and a half hours or less. Is it really that important to think weather on the bike? Yes. <laughs> Do you suggest having any gear? I mean, if it's that sunny at the bottom of Columbine 
and I plan to do that climb in under two hours and be coming back down, how much weather could we really be talking about, Sandy? Uh, you could be talking about snow, rain, wind. Uh, what if you injure yourself? I, I think at the very least you need to have a windbreaker, a rainproof windbreaker rolled up in your pack so you can throw it on you. That's at the very least, always. Don't you? Absolutely agree. I mean, I hate to call out our buddy Chuck, but he, you know, he had an incident up there in the blue sky and had to get yep. some help down, and it probably wasn't as yep. blue by that time. Or, That's you, right. you know, and, that weather and, does, you can't see over that mountain. That's right. And carrying a wind, uh, you know, a weatherproof windbreaker is not going to add to your your weight. It might save your life. Sure. Now, and this may mm -hmm. seem silly, but if you have this advice for the bike, do you have the same advice for the runners? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you should always have run, rain gear in your fanny pack or whatever in some place that you can whip out and cover your head and your neck and your upper torso at least. And your drop bag should carry should have dry clothing in case it rains so that you can strip it off and put on a rain suit or something um hypothermia is a real thing i don't know if you've ever had it cold but i did when i was hiking up kilimanjaro and let me tell you it's no fun and it's very dangerous <laughs> yeah i've had little so. bouts of it since then i think i always carried a non-breathable plastic poncho or trash bag with my rain jacket also yes yes absolutely i i just think that people overlook the cold weather gear because like me i'm from california i said i probably can't remember the last time i put on my raincoat was when i was in leadville last month right so, so and it was probably a year before that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Years. I kind of dusted it off. <laughs> so, so um, it's it's just really it's 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 safety necessary. I mean, it's not just being cautious; it's being realistic. Well, yes, I very much agree. Um, we've both seen those bad years, and we've both seen great years turn into bad years. <laughs> oh, yeah, it can turn on a dime. I mean, it really can. Well, I think this has all been great information. I know I've asked all the, the burning questions in my head for a Leadville audience to be a little better prepared. Can you think of anything I've left out or anything that you want to add? I don't think so. I think you've been very, excuse me, very thorough. Um, I, I, I do want to say to people, always expect the unexpected because it will happen. That's number one. Number two, have your runner always have drop bags at every location. They are fabulous at pulling stuff pulling drop bags for you and even giving you a volunteer to help you get through that aid station if necessary, because things can happen. If you don't use the drop bag, no big deal. You pick it up at the end of the race. Okay. Be prepared. Um, if you get a chance, pick up the uh, crew briefing um, supplement that I put together with the locations and the times. That's another, Oh, here's a big one. Mm-hmm. 
so many times runners come in and they, I cannot believe it. It's always startling. They miss the cutoff because they were fooling around and they weren't paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. I thought the cutoff was a half hour later. We had one of our champions, I'm not going to name names, come in and just about, I thought she was going to chase me out of there <laughs> because she was 20 minutes late. And she said, well, it's not my fault. I'm the, She said, it's not the runner's fault. It's my fault. I forgot the cutoff time. And I said, I'm sorry. It's past cutoff. That's it. And, you know, just pay attention to those cutoff times. Each aid station reminds you when the cutoff is at the next aid station. So please pay attention to it. Okay. Absolutely. That's a huge one. Okay. I got one last question for you. Yes. Can you imagine a life without Leadville in it? Uh, that's baited question <laughs> it's a little baited <laughs> question yeah i i i i have thoroughly loved all of my experiences with leadville as you know we have become real family i consider you one of my kids <laughs> um and i have become great friends with your dad and mom and merrily and they're it's you're all very important people to me and the event is important to me too or i wouldn't be have participated in it this many years so you know maybe there will be life without leadville but it won't be in the near future <laughs> well i love to hear that because you and mike have definitely become my family as have many of the uh, the rest of you listening and uh Hopefully none of us can envision a a life without Leadville in it. And Sandy, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Can't thank you enough for helping these people get ready for their adventure. And we can't wait to see all of you and you too, Sandy, at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville. That's great. And you tell everybody, listen to this. When I'm in Leadville, if you see me and you have a question, ask it. I'm very available. Okay? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, Leadville family, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was a little trip down memory lane for me, but hopefully so much more for you. Uh, We really hope we provided some value for you in this episode. I pulled in the biggest gun I could with Sandy Monahan. She's definitely the most experienced out there doing the job. Once again, please don't forget to give us a like and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. And we can't wait to see you at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville.